Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Be Here for a While. Today's episode of Be Here for a While is brought to you by BetterHelp, Thrive Market, and Braddock USA. Things I'm using and abuse. I'm not abusing them. Well, I mean, I could abuse some Thrive Market products. I could go real heavy on the Wagyu beef. And you know what? I am using my masks a lot from Braddock USA. And yeah, I just scheduled a new appointment with my online therapist at BetterHelp. So yeah, I guess I'm using them, but not abusing them. My therapist would be very disappointed if I said that, you know? How you guys doing? How's um, the never-ending uh, 2020 of horror for you? <laughs> I've been thinking, though, like, okay, so, yes, 2020 has been, you know, uh, let's just go with uncomfy. But I, uh, I decided to Google the other night. I wasn't sleeping well, um, and... So I, and I wasn't necessarily like worried about anything. I think I got up and I was hungry. I think I, I went for a snack. I like a good 4 a.m. snack or like a 6 a.m. Fill my belly up and then go back to bed for like a two hour nap. Wake up at eight. It's, you know, it's my way. Anyways, try it out if you're not sleeping or if you just feel hungry in the middle of the night. Um, but anyway, so I was up and, um, I, uh, I decided to Google like good things about 2020. And when I was reading them, there were so many wonderful things that made me laugh and made me realize like how much more connected people are in different ways. There's this hilarious thing that um, Ina Garten did. I don't know if I'm saying her name right or Ina Garten. Uh, just, she's like a uh, older um, woman uh, and she's this really famous chef, but she made this hilarious, albeit a little, <laughs> concerning even though I think she was a joking video of her making this gigantic martini at like 9 a.m being like you know what it's a rough time for everyone <laughs> just don't forget cocktail hour just like all these like funny cute little things and like ways families have come together and via tiktok dance or whatever it is and you know we we have to focus because it's all we can do really on a lot of the good things that have happened in 2020, I, I mean, I don't know how else to survive it um, besides, you know, getting the right counseling, uh, create, but creating a new project. Okay, so this is really cool. And I may, I want to have her on as a guest. My friend, uh, Derek, who I, I used to do comedy with, but he moved to New York, his wife, and she was featured in Forbes, which is super cool, um, started uh, making these beautiful flower arrangements that was already her hobby. Um, and she, started making money on it like within the first few weeks of her doing it now she's shipping them everywhere like people are getting creative and I just think it's so dang cool and I'm so proud of you guys for all of your creative ventures I know one of my listeners uh created a the, like a bar like a barbecue kind of company her and her husband and I just think there's so many options for creativity and um yeah ways to ways to feel better you know and if that's for you as mashed potatoes, like it is sometimes for me, eat them. The more butter on them, the better. All right. I'm super, super excited for my guest today. Um, I think you guys are going to find her really inspiring. Like her career is unreal. So Lisa Guerrero is the award-winning chief investigative correspondent for America's top-rated syndicated news magazine, Inside Edition. You definitely know who she is. She's the one chasing down the bad guys asking the hard questions, getting the best interviews. 
Um, she's one of the most versatile broadcasters on television. Lisa has guest co-hosted The View, been a special correspondent for Dr. Phil, and is a frequent guest panelist on CNN and HLN. She is also a successful actress, having starred in Aaron Spelling's Sunset Beach and guest starred on Southland, Frasier, and The George Lopez Show. Lisa recently also played herself in the Academy Award-nominated film Moneyball. She has had just the most incredible career and incredible life, and she's such a champion for women, and uh, I just think you're going to find her fascinating. So without further ado, give it up for Lisa Guerrero. So thank you so, so okay. much for doing this. I, uh, I just, as I was getting ready, listened to you on uh, Jillian. Is, did you say Barbary? I always forgot to say yeah, last Jillian, name. Yeah, Jillian Barbary. Yeah, yeah. Barbary. Mm-hmm. So I just listened to you on uh, her podcast, and... I just like I didn't realize your career was so multifaceted and you just seem like such a girl's girl and based on that like a blast to hang out with at the same time like all of the above and I also (laughs) really resonated with you when uh you got hired at ET and you were kind of like wait I'm interested in the investigative journalism part like it's You've done it all. You've gone from sports to being in Playboy to be, you started out as a cheerleader to now doing investigative journalism. Like, I I just think your career is fascinating. So I want to talk to you about that. And also the Kenneth Copeland, the actual demon that he is. Uh, So um, tell me a little bit more about your background, like uh, where you grew up. I know you lost your mom young. I'm so sorry about that. Um, So tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, thanks, Rachel. Well, I um, I was born in Chicago and uh, to an immigrant mother. My mother, Lucy Guerrero, was from Chile and her family immigrated to the, to the United States. So she didn't speak any English at all when she got here as a teenager. So mm-hmm. she learned English in Chicago and that's where she met my dad. And my dad was going to University of Chicago. He was in the um, the master's program for social services and going to the Salvation Army and working with the Salvation Army. And so that's where they met. So my dad is a social worker. My mother was an immigrant. And we moved to San Diego for my dad's work with the Salvation Army. And when I was eight years old, my mom died of lymphoma, cancer. And she was 29 years old. I was eight. My brother was six. So we were raised um, from then on by my dad, a single dad. And he, of course, was a sports fan. And so that's where I learned sports was from being raised by a single dad who took me to Chargers games and Padres games and taught me how to score the games up in the stands and, you know, taught me about, you know, what what the play was happening in, in front of me, how it unfolds, what the offense is doing, the defense is doing. So I learned the language of sports through my dad. And I felt like I knew this secret language that other little girls didn't understand as much as I did. So it gave me this like incredible bond with my dad and also something that I had in common with the boys. My dad put me in sports uh, right away after my mom died and theater, theater therapy for children. So I became both an athlete and a kid that wanted to be an actor, Mm -hmm. a professional actor when I grew up. So through those two things, you know, I, I really started to develop my um, uh, kind of my abilities and my talents, both as an athlete and as a performer on stage as an actor. When we got a little bit, when I got older, so 
probably junior high school age, my dad moved us up to Huntington Beach, which was closer to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And I started taking professional classes up in LA twice a week for our kids. And I started Oh, so you started right- really young. Really oh, yeah, young. as a teenager. I, I joined, I, my very first audition for a commercial was when I was 15. And I got it. It was a Ford Ranger commercial. So I joined SAG and AFTRA at 15 for a national commercial. And I never looked back. I I was a professional on-camera person since I was 15. So I've been in over 200 commercials. Um, I've been in dozens and dozens of TV shows and films. And um, of course, became a a Rams cheerleader, as you mentioned. I was um, tried out for the Rams as a 19-year-old. Uh, became a captain four years later, and after that became the choreographer and director for the Falcon cheerleaders and the Patriots cheerleaders. So I spent 10 years in NFL entertainment. And mm-hmm. while I was doing that, I kept an apartment in LA and kept auditioning and doing acting jobs. But all the t- all that while, I was thinking, you know, I really want to be a sports reporter. And there were very few sports reporters at the time. There were none in Los Angeles. And so after I finished being a cheerleader director with the Patriots, I said, I'm going to focus on this full-time. I'm going to move back to LA full-time and focus on on becoming a sports reporter. I got an agent right away. Um, It started working immediately. My very first uh, audition as a sports reporter I got for the producers of American Gladiators. They did a show called Wild West Showdown, which was kind of like a Wild West version of like a game show That's with hilarious. professional athletes and rodeo players. Yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. Wow. Um, <laughs> Way to put all lasted, the things together. <laughs> I know, right? It was so crazy. So um, that lasted 13 episodes. And then my next meeting was at CBS2. They were looking for a weekend sports guy. Um, and I auditioned against a bunch of guys and I got it. So I was the first female sports reporter in Los Angeles to earn a contract for wow. CBS. So um, from there, I, I you know worked for another local station, Fox 11, then regional, and I was quickly discovered by David Hill of Fox Sports Net, mm-hmm. who saw me doing regional, and he said, you know, I've got this show called Best Damn Sports Show, period, and I'm launching it in a couple months, and I want to have one woman on the panel. We've got a bunch of retired athletes, a comic, you know, uh, 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 Tom Arnold was the comic, and uh, Michael Irvin, John Sally, John Crock were the professional athletes, and he wanted a female sports reporter. So I was the one. I was the, mm-hmm. the original woman on that show, and it was really brutal to be the only woman. And it was also a great platform for me to really learn quickly. It was a two-hour live show every single day, wow. and I worked eleven hours a day because I was a lot on the of panel. Pressure. It was a ton of pressure for a national uh, woman, you know, yeah. woman broadcaster. Um, so, you know, did sports casting for a decade, uh, did Tough Man and Sports Geniuses, and the Best Damn Sports Show, and finally ended up as a sideline reporter for Monday Night Football on ABC. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? I mean, we can all, I mean, with the unprecedented times we're in, not only is there a global pandemic and social unrest, now 
the planet is burning. There's a lot going on and we need to be able to talk to someone. And that's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. And there's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide, and with BetterHelp, this is so cool, you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. That's so incredible. BetterHelp just wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. People are so thrilled with BetterHelp. They're feeling better. I felt better within, I think, my first session. I was like, I love this therapist. I feel like I got a new friend. I'm feeling so much better just by getting some stuff off my chest. So visit betterhelp.com slash be here. That's better com slash be here and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using better help that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. So for Be Here For A While listeners, you can get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash be here. So first of all, I want to say like going back to your childhood, your dad sounds like a prince of a man. I mean, mm-hmm. he was 30, your your mom was... Yeah. I mean, to, to lose your mom at 29 is like... Do you feel at all like your ambition and drive uh, maybe came from... Wanting to like, I don't know, make a name for yourself, make your, you know, make your mom proud from heaven or whatever you believe in to kind of, I don't know, do you feel like that affected you in a way of like, you had a hard knock early. So it's like, well, I'm just going to work my way. I'm going to, I'm going to be the best of the best at, at a lot of things. Do you feel that? Yeah, I think, you know, when, when a child loses a mom or dad early, and you deal with extreme adversity when you're really young, when you're still developing, you learn that bad things can happen. You also learn that life is finite, that you're not going to live forever. Your mom died young. Mm-hmm. And so I, it was kind of in my head that I wanted to accomplish as much as I could, as quickly as I could, because I had all the way up until in my 20s, I had this this vision that I was going to die young because my mom died young. Oh, really? So I I was trying to do a million things. You know, I was acting, modeling, writing, doing art. Um, you know, being musical, um, learning how to write music, and uh, and of course, be broadcasting. Do you so feel I was like trying- you were not afraid of the word no because of that fine meaning? Like you weren't afraid of rejection or like so you went after you know like. The entertainment industry is a very hard career that involves a ton of rejection. Do you feel like you were like, well, I might die young, so might as well just go for it? Was that a part yeah, of it? Yeah, I think it was part of it. And, you know, again, when kids have the adversity really young, I think they just build a tougher skin. And so um, rejection never bothered me like it bothered my other girlfriends that were actors or models. Uh, they took it really personally. And I just felt like, oh, well, they picked the wrong person. 
you know, the right, the right role is going to come along for me and some smart producer will hire me. I think based on the way like you explained in Jillian's podcast, um, like you said, you want to be a quarterback to your dad. And he was like, okay, we'll go, you know, throw the football. We'll see. It wasn't like, no, you need to do this. Or do, And I think being raised by a dad, maybe too. Oh um, yeah. Huge where difference. it's like, it's not, you're not seeing like a mom uh, dieting all the time or something like, so you don't have, and I relate with that a lot. I, I was raised by both parents, but they were really good about like, uh, I was overweight as a kid. Like they didn't tell me, they said I was gorgeous. So I thought I was gorgeous. Like I, like, I didn't know, like they didn't make me feel bad about certain things like that. So I, when I entered the entertainment industry, I felt the same way where I was like, all right, wasn't the right job for me. Or like, you know, I'm probably going to hear a hundred no's before I hear a yes. So fine, keep it coming. And like, I didn't feel a competition towards other women at all. And I kind of sense that with you, at least based on the podcast with Jillian, where it's like, just because she's getting it doesn't mean I'm not going to get it at some point. Oh, and actually it's, it's to the contrary. When more women are working and more women become successful in sports or in business, in education, that means more doors will be open for more women. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the more of us that succeed, it's better for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And so I, I had worked with women early in my career, especially that, that seemed really competitive and I, I couldn't really understand that because, mm-hmm. you know, when I was successful on local TV and the ratings went up for sports, all the rest of the local stations started hiring women mm-hmm. because they saw how successful it was for CBS too. So, you know, I think my job led to other women getting jobs in LA, especially and then nationally. So first of all, a lot of entertainment is male dominated. I'm a stand-up comedian, couldn't be more male dominated. So I'm, I'm pretty used to that. But I guess I didn't even realize like, how male dominated and you know whatever I, I would like you to explain some of the harassment and stuff that the sports reporting industry would be like first of all yeah. you're saying like they would say when you were on the sidelines they were like is she wearing red nail polish or like did, how did you handle that and just explain like how male dominated it is well, it's changed, of course. You know, when I started in the 90s, I, my first uh, sports casting jobs were in the 90s. And, you know, I was the only woman in the locker room. And I covered the Dodgers and the Lakers and the Clippers and UCLA hoops and USC football and the Chargers. And, and there just weren't other women in there. Once in a while, you'd see maybe a radio reporter um, or maybe a technician once in a while that would be in there that was female, but for, for most of the nights that I spent in locker rooms and on the field and doing batting practice and, you know, tossing to my live shots after the games, I was almost the only woman that I I saw. So it lent itself, that atmosphere lent itself to misogyny because I think the guys felt like they could get away with saying things to me early on or treating me disrespectfully early on. And they quit that quickly subsided though, when they figured out that I was serious, when I wasn't there to mm-hmm. get a date with them, I was there to ask them two or three tough questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the questions they didn't like. So they quickly knew, okay, she's not here to be our friend. She's definitely here to report the game. So that became really easier uh, as time went on much easier where I found a lot of misogyny was from other men in the sports media that felt threatened by me. Because uh, Is that that, that New York guy you mentioned on Jillian's podcast that oh yeah there was a there was a writer a national writer he's based out of New York uh, he was awful um, but most of them were awful there was I mean even local media here there was a a, a guy that used to write a kind of a sports uh, sports media critique 
And one of the, and when he first met me, he wrote this glowing article about me. It was, and the headline was, was like, um, uh, smart and brains and beautiful, something like that. And Mm -hmm. it was just this amazing story with full color picture about how he's such a great reporter. He asked me out on a date after that story came out and I said, no, you know, I, I, I don't date other people in, in the media yeah. or, or other people at work. And then he started writing horrible things about me. And to this day, he still writes crappy stuff about me. And I feel like, you know, at some point saying his name and I'm writing a book right now and somebody may say his name, but you know, that's the kind of thing that women have to endure that men don't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from national to regional to local media guys, I think they felt really threatened when women started to gain more uh, popularity and it started to become more visible um, on camera. It threatened their kind of old boy network. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, that was weird in the nineties and the two thousands. I know it's better now. Almost every single station has at least one female sports personality. Um, of course, the national networks have a lot of women. Uh, but even just you know a couple of weeks ago, Maria Taylor from ESPN, she was criticized for what she wore on the sideline. Um, on Monday Night Football on ESPN. Yeah. And that was ridiculous. I mean, she's a very talented reporter. Who cares what she's wearing on the sidelines? But, you know, when... when was she criticized you know, because it was too revealing or because it was just unflat? What was it? He he compared her, this this radio guy out of Chicago, whose name I won't repeat because he's local and he got fired. Um, so <laughs> I'm not going to give him the platform. But I will say this. He tweeted out that she looked like she was getting ready to host the adult porn awards. Uh, so with that outfit so it was just it was just it is gross it's degrading it's stupid it's it's beneath really the dignity of, of of having a platform in the media okay now that I've discovered Thrive Market um I don't think I can ever quit them you know it's like a cheesy romantic comedy I just can't quit you Thrive Market because you are delivering healthy organic food and wonderful, healthy bath and beauty products right to my door and at a really affordable price. Okay, so I love Dr. Bronner's soaps. I get them on Thrive Market for a huge discount, more so than anywhere else I could order them, and they are delivered safe and conveniently right to my door. And not only am I getting my bath and beauty products, I'm also getting wonderful uh, in, like sustainable seafood and high quality meats. I mean, they got Wagyu on there. Amazing. They also like, they have everything covered. They even give you recipe ideas. Like you buy chicken on there and there's a little thing that pops up. That's like, here is a chicken recipe to use for that. It's everything all in one place. Thrive Market is an online membership based market on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone. And they're making working from home and your daily life easier. It's just easy to go on and know you're getting the best quality products from a wonderful company. They're delivered right to your door. So you're not having to go to the grocery store and risk, you know, you know, your health or just, you don't have time. You know, you got kids, you got, you got work from home and they have a guaranteed savings and member only prices. Thrive Market members save an average of $32 on every order. That's amazing. Like, what I saved on my first order paid for its membership itself. I mean, specifically when I'm saying like 
The Dr. Bronda's products are so much cheaper on there. And Thrive Market has the best selection of high-quality, healthy, and sustainable products online. You buy thousands of wholesome food, home, and beauty products curated for just their members. You can find everything you need, organic and essential groceries, clean beauty, safe supplements, and non-toxic home, plus ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, I've gotten that too, and more. And their products are ethically sourced. Shopping with Thrive Market is healthy without the hassle. You can easily shop by 70 plus diets and values like keto, paleo, gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO, fair trade certified, BPA free, and more. Skip the store and the lines. I mean, I actually had to run to the store today just for like a few quick things. And I stood outside in the desert heat you know, and a line full of like seven people before I could get into the store. And I was like, this just is not worth it. I should have gotten my stuff from Thrive Market. Thrive Market is good for you and the planet. Orders of $49 or more are shipped for free and delivered with carbon neutral shipping from their zero waste warehouses. When you join, you give back too. Though Thrive Gives, their one-for-one membership matching program, every paid membership sponsors a free one for a low-income family. They're doing wonderful things for our environment, our world, and I think you guys should check them out. You will not be disappointed. Go to Thrive Market dot com slash be here and join today and you'll get a free gift of your choosing up to twenty dollars twenty four dollars in value that's thrivemarket.com slash be here that's t-h-r-i-v-e market.com slash be here and you're gonna get a free gift of your choosing up to twenty four dollars in value and so start your risk-free membership and get a free gift today that's thrivemarket.com slash be here they loom power over you in a way of like, and in a way that I don't think women would do, but I mean, have you experienced women executives being competitive with you or? No, um, no. And I wish there were more female executives. Um, the few that I have worked with have been great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the problem is there's just not enough of them. You know, it's primarily white male dominated, you mm-hmm. know, business, the TV uh, TV producers, TV executives, the decision makers are primarily white men. And so it's, it's really hard if you have, you know, if you're Latina, if you're a woman, if you're African-American, it's really hard to get a fair shot based mm-hmm. simply on, on, you know, what you're bringing to the table. Because mm-hmm. with a lot of, you know, when I worked at Fox Sports Net, and I am writing about this in my book, um, Between a Jock and a Hard Place so, is the name oh of the God, book. <laughs> when do you think it will be out? Oh man, I hope early next year. I hope How exciting. next year. You, you must have so many stories. Yeah. I, uh, that's the problem. You know, and I've journaled for years. I kept notes and journals throughout my whole career. And, and I also wrote a few columns and, and I've written for HuffPost and LA Times in the past. So I'm taking all that stuff and just trying to edit down what are the biggest, most important stories. But some of them are just fun and funny nuggets that I want to share. But one of the things I am writing about is my experience at Fox Sportsnet where I was you know, uh, sexually harassed by a couple of executives. And I feel like, you know, that's that the culture there at Fox news, Fox sports net, um, was especially, um, uh, sexist. Mm -hmm. And I was told repeatedly to wear skirts on the show. I was positioned on the side of the uh, set so that they could see my legs. Wow. And, um, I was constantly told not to be too confrontational when we were talking about sports controversies and not to get into the controversies with the other 
males on the show. So let, so let show. them argue. They wanted, me, look pretty? they wanted me to smile. Yeah. They wanted me to smile more and, wow. and seem friendlier and seem nicer. And, and then the more they told me stuff like that, then the more I would just get in more fights with the guys. That's how <laughs> I would be course, like, really? <laughs> yeah. And the audience loved it. I mean, we had a live studio audience and every time I would go at the guys, they would just cheer. And, you know, I just had a huge fan base and a lot of my current fan base goes back to the best damn sports show days and people still come up to me in restaurants or bars quoting stuff I said on best damn sports show to, you know, Tom Arnold or John Sally or, or Michael Irvin. Hey, remember when you got in a fight about, you know, player strike and, and you said this about, you know, the people working at the stadium. And I mean, people remember word for word stuff I said back then. So I knew that I was resonating with the audience mm -hmm. and I knew I was making a difference. And I knew that I was the only woman up till that time. This is 2000. There had been many sports reporters on national TV that mm -hmm. were female by that time. There had been other women anchors that were covering sports, but there had never been a woman every day that was allowed to get into arguments, to yeah. fight, to have her own opinion, to be opinionated on a daily basis with athletes and male, you know, comedians and male anchors. Mm -hmm. I was, I was able to have this position where I wasn't just the pretty girl, although that was part of why I was hired. What I ended up doing was using that platform to talk about social justice, racism, sexism in sports mm -hmm. and being, being a voice for the fans. And, and that really, you know, I, I carved that niche because that wasn't what I was hired for. Mm -hmm. I was hired to be the pretty girl to do the three minute, you know, sports updates. Mm -hmm. What I ended up doing was being this really kind of, you know, lightning rod for controversy, but I became more of a personality, not just a reporter. And so that, did you that transition from one thing to the other, or did you sort of like, were you supposed to just do the three minutes and you were on the panel and you were just not supposed to talk the rest of the time and you kind of forced your way in by arguing? Like, how did that happen? Yeah. So, you know, I was hired to be in the top segment, which was the topic of the day, and then go up to the sports desk after that to, to do my three minute sports updates every 15 minutes. But what I ended up doing was inserting myself into that, awesome. that, that, you know, argument that the guys were having about the sports topic of the day, I would jump in, give my opinion. And they were like, Oh, you have an opinion. And I'm like, yeah, well that guy should not, you know, he shouldn't have lost his starting job because of this or whatever the controversy was. And they would That's look at it. Awesome. But I would come with receipts. I came with research. I knew what the topic was every day because they let us know that morning what that sports topic was going to be. And I did my research and I came in with really you know, strong takes based on both my opinion and by research. Mm -hmm. And so I, I quickly forged an opportunity there to be a personality and not just pretty. Mm -hmm. And from that position, I started saying to my executives, you know, I want to start doing sit down interviews, one-on-one -on -one sit down interviews with superstar athletes that don't want to talk to the media. I want to start with Barry Bonds. And they're like laughing at me. Oh, sure. You're going to get a sit down interview with Barry Bonds. And three months later, after so much work uh, going through his agent, his publicist, his personal assistant and sending tapes and going out to meet him at BP and basically auditioning for him, auditioning for him on the field saying, look, I really want to talk to you. Here's the things that I think that you're misunderstood about you need to speak about this to the media. I know so you hate the media, smart. but, but please well, let me angle. sit down like, with you. Yeah. Let like, me be the conduit to getting yeah. your message across. And so I got that interview. It became a three-part series for them, um, broke all this news. And then they started letting me do sit down interviews with, you know, Alex Rodriguez, Shaq, um, Mia Hamm, 
Terrell Owens, uh, Jerry Rice, all, all these big superstars at the time that, that weren't necessarily um, doing sit-down interviews. I was able to get them. Randy Johnson, like these really tough guys. And that became part of my reputation then. But I made that happen. I didn't mm-hmm. wait for somebody to give me that opportunity. I took that opportunity. I think I love that you said that. I think that's so important for like, I think I, the larger part of my audience is women. I think women need to hear that. Like it, it, it you're going to have to take it at, at some, like you're going to have to create your own opportunities. It's not, especially in entertainment, it's not the old days where like, oh, you're a pretty girl and you get a contract at a movie studio. And it's like, no, it's, you gotta, you gotta, know how to maybe even edit your own videos that you put up online. You need to, you need to be the smartest person in the room, the most brave person in the room. Uh, Also, I mean, sadly, maintain your looks, don't do drugs and stuff like, but yeah, you know, you have to do all of these things and it, that's just, it is what it is. And frankly, I kind of love that. Like I get so much more gratification from like what you did, which is creating your own opportunity instead of like just being the three minute girl, like, yeah, that's pretty cool. You could brag about that for the rest of your life. But no, you were like, oh, I'm so much more than that. Well, I, I could have probably still been there, you know, <laughs> if I did that, right? Because I was good at that, but I knew I could be great at something else. Mm-hmm. And so I, I made those opportunities for myself. And I did that even, you know, you fast forward to, to working at Inside Edition. I was hired as a West Coast correspondent covering a ton of entertainment stories and general assignment, day of air stories. But I looked over at the investigative unit, which was, you know, headed by a guy. We had the, the male correspondent, Matt Mahar, who is getting ready to retire soon. And I saw that potential opening. And that's the one I wanted. And my uh, executive producer was like, oh, you know, it, it involves a lot of travel. It's not glamorous. You have to be on the road really late hours, long hours. Bring it it's on. Very dangerous, <laughs> extremely dangerous. And I'm like, that's the job I want. And so that was not the job that was offered to me originally. But I, I got on that show, I built my audience and, you know, and built my credibility every day for years doing, you know, general assignment reporting so and entertainment reporting. Um, I became, I started on the show in 2006 Okay. and I, I became, I got promoted to chief investigative correspondent in 2010. So this is my 11th year being the chief investigative correspondent for the show. Um, but the first couple of years, I just worked hard. You know, I, I was a general assignment reporter and I worked really hard doing, covering entertainment and human interest stories and breaking news stories like, you know, wildfires or, you know, earthquakes or whatever there was in LA mm-hmm. to cover. I would cover that stuff. And then also kept my nose to the grindstone thinking, what do I want to do next? And when I saw that opportunity, uh-huh. you know, a couple of years down the road, when I saw that opportunity, I just went for it. And I was pretty relentless at bugging my bosses about it. And they let me kind of audition for it. Uh-huh. They let me do do an assignment. And that assignment went really well. And then the second assignment won a national headliner award. And that wow. was it. So what they was gave that, me that what job. was that assignment? So this is interesting. It looked like a simple consumer report. You get these flyers in the mail. Hey, you know, we can uh, clean your um, your air your air conditioning units, you know, your air vents. We'll clean them for 75 bucks, you know, or 50 bucks. And what, what we knew that they were doing was they were upselling. They would come into your house and instead of cleaning that air duct, they would find, allegedly find mold. And all of a sudden it's costing you a thousand dollars or $2,000. Wow. So we just thought we didn't set up a house with hidden cameras 
And we knew there was no mold. We had it all inspected. There was no mold. And of course, this company comes in and they find mold. So I confront them. Wow. But what really ended up happening was the owner of that company had been doing this scam in several states. And uh-huh. he wasn't even allowed to practice in some of those states. He couldn't do business in some of those states. So um, we confronted him in Florida. We chased him down to Florida. It ends up he was a sex offender. Um, it just blew up into this whole big story oh, that it didn't wow. start. To, it started to be a simple consumer report. And it ended up with a huge confrontation with me in a parking lot with the owner of this business who comes up in a motorcycle and threatens to kill me. And it was like on crazy. Camera? Did he know he was on camera? Yeah. Yeah. We had These our cameras are so out. so crazy. Like they're I, crazy. And then we caught him. Then I had my, my little DVD player and I caught him in the act down hidden camera where he was saying that he was cheating people. So all this to say, as a reporter, you never know what's going to happen when you go into a story, but you just kind of, you know, try to be flexible and, you know, you understand and you, you know, you know that you're on the side of the consumer, of the viewer, and you demand accountability from crooks and from scam artists. That's my job. Yeah. And so I was not going to back down until we found out why this guy was doing that and, you know, did this unscheduled interview with him. So, so that was my first really big, wow. big story. And that led to this whole career change. I have so many questions. First of all, what is the like legality of hidden cameras? Do they have to then sign off for it later for you to know or is it in different no. states? It's different or no. So, so we're news. We're not an entertainment show. We're a news show. So you can use hidden cameras really? in some, st- in some States though, you can't use audio. Some States are, uh, uh, you, both people have to agree to be on audio, but you can still use hidden camera video wow. in every state. Wow. So, for example, um, in California, both parties have to agree to be on audio, but yeah. we can still do hidden camera because we're news. Now, we're not an entertainment show that's like a, a reality show or something. Mm-hmm. Then we then we wouldn't, be, you know, we'd have to have people sign releases. Yeah. But if you cover the news, if you're a news organization, if you're a news show, um, then then you don't have to have them wow. sign releases. So, are you able to choose which stories you want to do, and um, how involved are you in the research portion? Yeah. So um, my entire investigative unit is in New York. I live in LA. The show's Mm -hmm. based in New York, although we have an LA bureau. Um, I'm constantly pitching story ideas to my producers and to my executive producer. And then my executive producer, we are all pitching stories all the time. Then my executive producer picks the stories he wants us to cover and he wants to green light. So let's say I, um, you know, all together as a unit, say we pitch 400 stories a year, we may only do 50 stories a year, which is still a lot. We do about 50. Okay. I think we all can admit that wearing masks is not like the greatest experience, but it's completely necessary in these times. And if you're going to wear them, why not wear the cutest, most comfortable masks from Braddock USA? Okay, so I was so excited to discover Braddock USA's masks. Not only are they made with the most soft, comfortable fabric, but they also don't make you all sweaty and hot. They're very breathable. Um, And what I like about Braddock USA's face masks is is that unlike other masks, they actually feel good to wear. And they do this by using premium upcycled fabrics that are super soft and breathable, like I said. Plus, they have moisture wicking technology to keep your face nice and cool, which is so important right now. I'm living in the Palm Springs area right now, and it's Hot, 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 like 122 last week. That's not an acceptable heat. 
and wearing a mask in that heat is not super fun. But with Braddock USA, they're breathable and they keep my face cool and they keep me safe. I feel protected, safe, and comfortable in my Braddock USA masks. And they're machine washable and they hold up after dozens and dozens of washes. I've been giving a bunch of them away to my friends and family. They're saying they just keep washing them and using them and they're amazing. And the great thing about Braddock USA is they are helping to keep our planet safe. They are upcycling. So what is that? That means um, upcycled fabrics are brand new existing fabrics that they repurpose for their masks, reducing waste and materials. And less waste equals less harm to the environment. And for every purchase using my code, the guys at Braddock are donating masks to those in need. They're just an all-around cool company. So go check out their website at braddockusa.com. That's B-R-A-D-D-O-C-K-U-S-A.com. And you'll see they already have great prices. But for a limited time, we're going to hook you up with an additional 25% off with promo code BEHERE on your first purchase. That's 25% off your entire order until the rest of the summer with promo code BEHERE at braddockusa.com. B-R-A-D-D-O-C-K-U-S-A.com. Go check them out. Get some. And from all of us. Let's beat this and move on to better days. Yeah, and, and my stories primarily air during sweeps. So, you know, sweeps, uh, September launch of the show, and then uh, November sweeps, February sweeps, May sweeps. We have a short sweep in, in July. Um, so, oh, so those they, are primarily, so they stockpile. Every... No, they stockpile okay. them, and then they Got air it. them during the, the ratings periods that are the most important because my investigations typically drive you know, viewership, they yeah. get big ratings for those. Now this year has been weird though, because of COVID, I haven't been able to travel. Yeah. So the only thing I've been doing are LA based stories. So no investigations, I think I've, I've done a couple, but you know, this time of year, I'd be all over the country, just shooting, shooting, shooting. Um, but we haven't been able to, because of travel restrictions from yeah. California to New York, I would have to quarantine and CBS, which is my parent company. Um, is very, very, you know, careful with us. They obviously don't want to get anybody sick. And yeah. I did have a cameraman, one of our, our two general assignment cameramen uh-huh. in LA, he died of COVID. Oh my so, God. I'm so sorry. Yes. Thank you. So we only have one wow. cameraman now and full-time cameraman. See, so that just, Sal, hey guys, Sal it's real. Listeners. It's real. Like, Dude, it, it is so real. I mean, I know now four, four people ahead. that have died of coronavirus, including my cameraman. Yeah. yeah. I, I was just about to say like, at least, you know, enough, like one degree of separation, uh, separation away of like, yeah, probably at least uh, four people. Actually, it's, uh, that's the exact number that I know, but like, yeah, yeah it's, it's crazy. Um, so, okay. So, okay. So you're able to choose which ones that you want, or you can pitch them, but, but I, I pitch them. And then, then there's some that I don't pitch that, you know, maybe another producer pitches or that our executive producer want, wants me to do. And so then they'll say, Hey, we want you to do this. I can say no, but you know, I, I can't imagine there being a reason to not do, you know, yeah. an investigation. I love doing them. You know, we do everything from consumer stories to crime, cold cases, scams, um, political and religious scams. Like we do, we do just about anything that is under the umbrella of investigative journalism. Yeah. What is the most dangerous experience you've had being an um, investigative journalist? I've had guns pulled on me a couple of times. Did, did that? Did they catch it on camera? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, in fact, 
on if you're one a criminal, of the story, aren't you supposed to be better at it? Like, why are you pulling a gun on someone? They're stupid. On now, most most of these people are very stupid. They think they're smart because they've been able to hurt people or scam people. Um, but you know, in the end, they're not that smart. They end up mm-hmm. being caught um, eventually. So yeah, um, we've had a couple of brushes with with guns. So uh, what was that scenario like? They they put they pulled it out and just threatened you and just said what like uh, if you yeah so. When, so it's happened a few times now. So the first one was crazy. We were uh, breaking up this illegal cockfight in Alabama, and you know they're really brutal. They they're they're brutal for these animals. They they yeah. are. It's a horrible way for these animals to die. And people bet on them, and they bring kids in there. It's really bloody. It's very violent. Ooh. It's awful, and it's illegal. But they still have them anyway. They're they're in these rural backwoods places in these barns off these you know. Uh, dirt roads. So we were taken, you know, undercover by a guy that had alerted us that these um, cockfights were taking place, illegal cockfights. So we went, we, we uh, captured a bunch of it on hidden camera. We went in to see it. And then when we came out, I wanted to confront the person that was setting it up, the the person that had managed it. And when we um, started the confrontation, all these guys picked up their shotguns um, that were there. Cause you know, these guys are, were carrying guns. Of course, there were all these trucks and they had guns in the window. You know? yeah. so it was crazy. So they're literally chasing us back to the car with their shotguns. My uh, producer looks back and he's like, ah, they're carrying shotguns. So I'm confronting this guy. And then there's this team of people coming out with guns. And then we got in our, our, uh, our truck and we, we skedaddled. <laughs> I did not want to get wow. shot for, for that story or any story. And then more recently, we did a we did a story. I don't I don't know if you guys have seen Love Fraud, which is on Netflix. It's about no. this guy that scams these women Ooh, online. And okay. yeah, Love Fraud. It's really amazing. But um, there, there's a version of that that we did. This this guy was pretending he had cancer and would hook up with these women online and tell them that he had you know that he was in love with them and that these women were middle aged or older and you know, were maybe single moms and, you know, they were giving this guy their money, their life savings. One of them bought a truck. One of them bought property. Like they were giving this guy money and he was claiming that he had cancer. And to one woman, it was like testicular cancer. This one, it's like lung cancer. This one, it's stomach cancer. Like he's making up all these cancers. Even his daughter spoke to us on camera saying, my dad is a cheat. My dad does not have cancer. He's scamming these women. So wow. I went to, we found, we tracked him down. He was in the Midwest and he was, you know, he'd just gotten married to this woman he knew in high school and we confronted him and he, you know, comes out of his home, his trailer holding it. He's got a no shirt on and he's, you know, flapping around this gun. And I say on camera, are you really threatening me with that gun? And he's like, I, you get on my property, I'm going to use it. And so he's got this gun and waving this gun around on camera. He knew we were shooting him. And uh, that was part oh, of what ended up in this one. story. Yeah, it's called, I think, Cancer Casanova. If you Google okay. Inside Edition Cancer Casanova, you'll see that dude come up. So that was crazy. But, you know, I've been hit by cars. People have put their hands on me. They've threatened me. I get death threats and rape threats all the time. It's just part of what you do when you're an investigative reporter. It's very dangerous. Yeah. Okay, so tell me about. I want to know everything about the Kenneth Copeland interview. I mean, it's that it's it is so worth the watch, listeners. So, 
go watch it after you listen to this podcast. Uh, make sure it's like 11 minutes long or something. Watch the whole thing because his range of emotions and tactics and and the fact that, so, I mean, he's not pulling a gun on you on camera, but like when he starts yelling at you, I'm like, do you not realize you're being filmed? Like you're supposed to be a man of God. I mean, he's, I, he's absolutely full of shit, but uh, okay. So just please tell me about the whole experience and like how you guys tried to track him down. Like you were it just, you were in the shower when they said go. Yeah. Well, th- you know, what, what you guys should do is also look at, this was not my first rodeo with Kenneth Copeland. Several years ago, we did an investigation called Rockstar Preachers. So Google that too. Mm-hmm. And that was a few years ago where I confronted him at an event. Um, and I confronted him about, you know, living this life of luxury mm-hmm. off of donors money. And this, you know, this woman whose mom died after giving all her money to Kenneth Copeland, she wouldn't go to a doctor to cure her cancer because she thought, if she gave her money to Kenneth Copeland, he would cure her. That's that's so half she, the reason why I'm trying to take these people down. There's like Robert Tilton did that back in the day where, I mean, there was Robert Tilton, for example. I mean, he's just as bad as Kenneth Copeland. They're all bad. Uh, told P, uh, AIDS patients he could heal them through the TV if they put their hand on the TV and they'd be healed. Well, in my opinion, that makes you an accomplice to murder. Because if you're telling that person they're healed, they're giving all their money to you and they're afraid to go to the doctor because they say to them, you know, well, you know, you're basically telling God you don't believe in him if you if you go to the doctor, like I've healed you. And then he goes on and spreads it to other people thinking he's healed. Like that is, it's it's so horrible. I don't know how these people sleep at night. Like, I don't know how Kenneth Copeland, especially recently with COVID being like, oh yeah, it doesn't exist. And there's an interview I just watched with him um, where he says, well, there were like, yeah, people are afraid to go to church now because of COVID. He goes, I want, I, if you have a fever, I want you in my church so I can heal you right there. So irresponsible. And and these guys have been doing this for years. And um, they're, you know, a lot of them are called prosperity preachers and they preach this gospel of if you give me money, God will make you rich. So and they live this lifestyle of wealth because they're showing you that it's okay to be rich and I can make you rich and you should be rich like me. And here's my lifestyle. So, um, so we had done an interview with him years ago and, uh, rockstar preachers, but more recently, you know, he had bought another private plane this time from, um, a Tyler Perry. And we, he had said something pretty outrageous that we were focused on. And he said that he didn't want to fly commercial because he didn't want to get into a tube full of demons. That was his quote. So I want to just specifically so ask him if he thought that people were demons and that the people that donate to him that could never afford to go in a private jet, the people that do, you know, do go on commercial flights, if they're demons. And yeah, so I wanted him to explain that. He's insulting the people that are building up his lifestyle. Like it's- right, right. So we wanted to ask him about that. And, and so we focused on a couple of different uh, prosperity preachers that were buying jets. And, uh, but this particular one was interesting because we wanted to, you know, to talk to him. We reached out, of course he said no, or his people didn't want to, um, didn't respond and, you know, didn't want to give a, give him to us for an interview. So we decided to go to him and we went to Branson, Missouri, where he was doing a, a several day seminar. And we, you know, found out where he was kind of leaving the building and we were posted up doing surveillance on him for a couple of days. And finally, um, on the last day. Uh, we thought he was coming out later in the day. 
So my producer released me to go back to the um, hotel to get a shower. I stunk. I was exhausted. I was hungry. And he's like, you know, go take a shower, go rest, take a nap. Um, you know, we're, we're going to reconvene this afternoon because we think he's going to be here in the afternoon. So I got, uh, I got home, uh, home, I got back to the hotel and uh, because I'm a girl and my gray hair was coming out, I had to do my um, own hair in my hotel room. I was doing my roots. Mm-hmm. So I had like hair dye in my room. Oh, you were like dyeing your hair. I was dyeing my hair. God. Yeah. And, you know, letting it sit in. And then my, you know, I'm, I'm like in the shower at this point, like rinsing it out. And my producer's calling. I could, like, my phone was on the counter because I can't ever be too far from my phone. And I answer the phone. He's like, he's here right now. You have to get here right now. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I'm in a shower with this gunk in my hair. So I have to like rinse it out, um, throw it in a towel, um, throw on sweats. I had a, a this like animal print scarf that I threw over a white sweatshirt. So it would look a little more dressy. And I put my wet hair in a low ponytail. I've never worn a that's, ponytail on camera that's why in my your hair life. Looks so much darker in that video. Like it yep, doesn't look it's like wet. You're... Yeah. Cause it's wet. No, okay. it, it doesn't look like me. And you can never really see me straight on into the camera. There, he's basically shooting me from behind or a little bit three quarters, mm-hmm. but never, never right. You can never see my face right directly into the camera. So it doesn't even look like me. Um, but it was so funny because like of all the things now that's been seen over a billion times worldwide, wow. that's gone viral many times of all the things for me to be on with wet hair <laughs> and a heart, you know, no makeup. I just look like hell, but uh, the point was we got him and you handled yourself I, so wet. Like it, I mean, it's impressive. And you, you even had, you know, knowledge of the Bible that you, you know, went back with it. Like, so yeah, okay. T- tell me more about it. But you just—I just wanted to say—you handled yourself incredibly well. Like I feel like That's I would have maybe yelled back, but I'm not an investigative journalist. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like, or sometimes I would—I I would get nervous laughter. I think if he was being that crazy to my face, I would start laughing at him. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think years and years. You know, at this point, I've been on camera for a gazillion years. I've been a reporter for thirty years, and all, the, all those years, also being a sports reporter when, you know, I was around really angry guys or belligerent guys or guys that didn't like my questions. You know, I really, I like to say I used to be a size four, but now I'm a size eight because I had to develop a thick skin. Um, I have a very thick skin. Mm -hmm. And so nothing really shakes me. I don't get scared. I don't run. Um, I, I just, you know, I, my blood pressure just gets really low. Boom, boom boom. And no matter what happens, I just stand there and I just want it recorded. I want to make sure we capture it. And I want to make sure that I ask the right questions so that that person I'm talking to can reveal themselves. Mm -hmm. And so this was a really good example, I think for journalism students to, to watch this because it's not about me. It's, you know, it's about me asking questions and going back to those, the same subject matter, no matter what he tries to dance around or lie or hit on me or whatever, yell at me. I keep going back to the essential um, point of why I was there and those mm-hmm. essential questions. And so the more that he spoke, the more he really revealed himself. So it wasn't about me asking him trick questions or gotcha questions. It was me asking very straightforward questions about quotes he had said. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just letting him try to defend those quotes. And so it's, it's a really interesting character study, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like it, it, as soon as he started acting nuts, I was thinking to myself, well, this is TV gold. Um, mm-hmm. I hope, I hope they are, show more than just one soundbite of this in the finished story. And then as luck would have it, um, the, you know, I was just begging them, please let us put up the entire uncut video 
online mm-hmm. that our viewers can see the whole thing. Cause normally they don't see the whole interview. Yeah. What you see is my, you know, question and maybe a bite or two of their answer for most of my investigations. But at this point I, I was really begging them, please just put up the whole thing mm-hmm. so that people can see the uncut version of this. It's bananas and it's really revealing. And so, so they did. And so that's what happened when our first story aired about the other preacher. Also, he was also involved in this. Jesse you know, Yes, Jesse Duplantis. He, you know, that that got good ratings. It did well. But it wasn't until the entire interview went online with Kenneth Copeland that things went crazy. So immediately that started being shared. Um, it was on MSNBC and CNN and all of these, uh, you know, broadcasters internationally were sharing it. Jeremy Vine in England and the UK, he's like the uh, Anderson Cooper of the UK. Uh-huh. He started sharing it, and um, Jake Tapper and Joy Reid and Chris Hayes and S.E. Culp. So all of these people were sharing the story, just going, "This is bananas! Look at this interview!" And so that was that's how it happened. And since then, it's won some journalism awards and continues to be, I think, the most watched piece of video ever in Inside Edition's thirty-year history. Wow. So what was your vibe of him? Like, besides just the words he said to you, like, how do you feel about Kenneth Copeland? So, you know, again, my, and I say this in the interview, both of my grandfathers and one of my grandmothers were preachers, Mm -hmm. evangelical preachers, and they were all incredibly poor. You know, they, they, um, they looked at the Bible, like, you know, this is, this is a message from God and I have my congregation and I'm going to share this message with them. And they lived lives, you know, lives that were very simple mm-hmm. and they gave everything to the church and they, you know, they died without money. You know, they were not without money. They weren't penniless, but they, you know, they, they were definitely not wealthy people, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're very simple people. And so I, I felt, and I, I feel a certain amount of, um, uh, disappointment when I look at the Bible being manipulated mm-hmm. to put money in people's pockets. And as I say in the, in the story, you know, there's a quotation in the Bible that says it's more difficult for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Meaning it's very difficult for rich men to go to heaven because a lot of times rich men got that wealth because they were taking advantage of other people. They used mm-hmm. slaves back in the day you know, they, they weren't necessarily men of God. They weren't good people yeah. um, necessarily. So that's kind of what, what that hold on, Old sorry, Testament hold on one, quote was about. Hold on one second. Greg, don't talk, please. I'm still interviewing. Sorry, my boyfriend just came home. <laughs> oh, <that's funny. laughs> he's like yelling as he's walking in the house. So it's okay. <laughs> Go in another room, please. Thank you. Anyways, sorry. Uh, what were you saying? It's okay. Um, so anyway, that's what the, the quote was from. So how do I feel about Kenneth Copeland? I feel like he's manipulated people for a long time. I think mm-hmm. he's dangerous. More recently, he's claimed that he can cure coronavirus. He's been able to blow it away. I think those uh, that kind of rhetoric is dangerous. It costs people's lives. He has cost people their entire life savings. Mm-hmm. Um, in the case of the earlier story I was referencing, where the woman said that her mom died of cancer because she thought he would cure her. Um, you know, uh, there are, I am sure thousands of those stories going back decades. And, you know, I am not a fan of, of prosperity preachers. I think they take advantage of people and I think they manipulate and they bastardize, um, the Bible, which, you know, for many people is, is sacred. 
Mm-hmm. And well, I don't even think they're what, really religious people. I, in so many, like I've really gone in deep on like the Jimmy Swaggerts, the Robert Tilton's, the Jim Baker, the Kenneth Copeland, no. like they, they, they don't, I, I think they just realize this is a good scam. This is, I can see yeah. Oral Roberts did it. I'll do it then. Like, I think it's truly, I mean, Jim Baker admitted, um, and now he's selling these ridiculous buckets. Do you know about that? Yeah, I do. Oh God. And they, they look like absolute pig slop. Um, but he even admitted like right when he got out of prison, he'd never even fully read the Bible. And he admitted that he just stole sermons basically from other preachers and just sort of manipulated it to fit his way of give me your money completely admitted to it and now you know in his 70s or whatever he's he's hoping I guess people don't remember that he said that I don't know who believes this guy but now he's saying he's a prophet and God speaks to him like it's just it's just such a scam I think they just saw it as a way it's it's like if someone decided not that Wall Street is all a scam but like it's it's basically like, oh, these guys make a bunch of money on Wall Street. I guess I'll go into that business. They see it as a business, I think. I don't think they see it at all as – I don't think they're religious, to be perfectly honest. Right. Well, religion and spirituality are two different things. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know they've, they've realized that there is a formula for them to be able to exactly. manipulate people. Mm-hmm. And, and the sad part of it is, is the people that are, are – you know, funding these uh, luxurious lifestyles are people that can't afford it. They're often senior citizens, mm-hmm. people of color, single mothers, um, poor people. Uh, they're not people that you know can afford to be giving their life savings to these these men. Mm-hmm. And I do think they're snake oil salesmen. And, and well, and the prosperity like said, gospel they say a lot is really they troubling. Say, they say, um, you know, it, it's give your money when you can't when you really can't give it, that's how you're really going to show it to God. So they really are preying on like, I don't care if you only have a thousand dollars, you give that to God to show him that you have faith. Like they're literally telling the poorest of the poor people, just keep giving. I mean, Kenneth Copeland had a quote recently where he said, there's two times to tithe when you have money and when you don't have money. So all the time, Kenneth, like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, I mean, they were they were very vocal during coronavirus when people were getting their unemployment checks that they should sign over their unemployment checks. Oh wow! So it, you know, it's really, really dark, and it's, in my opinion, um, it's criminal. And you know, so we do stories where we try to alert people that this is happening. And um, you know, interestingly, last year around the time that our story aired, he his relationship started going south with Trinity Broadcasting. He had been you know, one of their, uh, you know, their premier names for yeah. 40 years. Do you and know so why now, that did? Why uh, that happened? I, I had heard that it was our story embarrassed Trinity when our oh, story wow. went viral. And so now he's no longer on Trinity broadcast. They let him go. So, um, you know, if, if our, if our story helped that happen, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy about that. Wow. Did you get the sense from him? Like if you watch that, um, him blowing COVID away video. Um, my mm-hmm. reaction to that is I said on the podcast episode about him, I said like, just like picture he wasn't in a $10,000 suit on stage and you just passed that person on the street and they did that. You'd be like, Oh my God, I think he's lost it. Or like, maybe this man's like really drunk and like, you know, like not well. Uh, did you get the vibe from him that, I mean, I know you can't like speculate, but uh, we can say allegedly that like, 
is he on something or is he maybe just I, you know, again, I can't, I don't know. I don't know. I, all I know is that his behavior was really strange and, um, you know, I don't know, I don't know what, if anything he does, I just know what his behavior showed and what we caught on camera. And, you know, I, I, you know, I can't really speculate on anything like that. All I can say is like, I hope people watch the story and they can decide for themselves if this is a person you want to be sending your money to. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you pick I up wouldn't. on like an evil vibe from him at all? Just like being in his I, presence. I don't know if you're like, I'm, I'm feel like I'm pretty empathetic. I just like feel things. Um, I, I just have obviously never been in his presence. I would just wonder what it feels like to be around him. Do you feel like it was really troubling? I, when, when he started going down some of those very strange roads of, of, um, kind of praying over me and yelling at me and then hitting on me, like all the strange things he was doing. I was really troubled. I just looked at him. I thought this this person um, does not seem connected to reality. Um, It was really strange almost. And again, you know, I'm there as a reporter to ask questions and to just, you know, give a platform for somebody to answer those questions. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and he spoke, he never said, "I, I don't want to talk anymore. He never said, get that camera away from me. He never said, don't, don't put that microphone in my face. He spoke, mm-hmm. you know, he was willing to share his thoughts about all of those things. And it, it was very, um, all I can say is troubling. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, you know, again, I'm a very uh, brave, confident, strong person. So nobody scares me. And I don't, I didn't get scared by him. And a lot of people were scared for me when they saw that. So I want to yeah. assure people that I never felt scared, but I did feel troubled, mm-hmm. deeply troubled. About like you're watching that something that like, yeah. yeah, like you can see like this person's uh, something weird's going on here. Yeah. He did not seem well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So to, thank you so much for giving me insight on him. So to wrap this up, I want to talk just a little bit more about like the book you're writing and, um, you know, like one of the things I want to ask you too is what is the interview that you're most proud of? And, and are you getting the most gratification in your career right now with this, your investigative journalist portion of your career? Not, I mean, I, I know you did it in the sports world, but like, this is really helping a lot of people like realize these scams. Like, are you getting a lot of gratification from that? Thank you for saying that. I, uh... I definitely am the happiest and am feeling the most gratified as an investigative reporter than anything I've ever done in my career. The problem for me now is that it's frustrating to not be doing that this year because of COVID. So I'm just, I'm like chomping at the bit to get back on the road to do these stories again. And I'm hoping that by the end of the year, they will unleash me so I can go chase bad guys and do what I do best. Because although I do enjoy, you know, doing my art and writing my book and I'm relaunching my website, lisaguerrero.com, and I'm, I'm doing all these fun projects and, do, and supporting the nonprofits that I care about, it's still, I, I, I am driven by doing investigative journalism. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm helping people. And whether it's a consumer report where we're just swabbing, you know, movie theater seats to see if mm-hmm. there's germs or, you know, or uh, consumer reports that have to do with, you know, people scamming homeowners or, um, or cold case stories or crime, whatever 
whatever the story is that we're doing, I feel like it's helping somebody somewhere mm-hmm. be, be alert to this either danger or these germs or whatever it is. So uh, when I'm not doing it, I feel frustrated because yeah. I, that's what I want to be doing right now. But having done it for 11 years, I know all the stories are out there. They're all on YouTube. I know they're still helping people today. So yeah, I, I am so pleased that my career has come to this point where at my age, I feel like I'm doing the best that I best work I've ever done. And I still, cool. still feel like there's a whole part of my career ahead of me mm-hmm. doing all of this because of the success that we've found with yeah. this formula. So I, I love working for Inside Edition. I love doing investigations. I would love to do more of them. And I, I feel like the rest of my career has led me to this place where, where I feel like I'm confident and I, I really enjoy this job right mm-hmm. now. Um, I loved, uh, I think, and I think my listeners would love to hear this. Maybe we'll end on this part. Uh, I loved at the end of the, the video where you're taking off your makeup, the point that you're at in, um, you know, your journey with like every woman's journey with like how you feel about yourself, like, you know, not chasing perfectionism, all that. Um, I think my listeners would love to hear from you, um, which basically you are perfect. I mean, I really can't believe your age. It's, Hardly. It's <laughs> freaking you. me out. I feel like I, I feel like we look the same age and I, maybe I need to change <laughs> something about what I'm doing. But um, uh, I feel like my listeners would love to hear like, when did you kind of transition from realizing like, okay, I don't always need to be perfect. There's more to me. There's, you know, it's better to be interesting and have these experiences. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I, you know, I think there is a natural pressure that women have, right? All of us, no matter what we do, to you know stay in shape and to look good and to dress well and and to do all of those things that all those magazines since we were teenagers that we look at, you know, have have told us you've got to have perfect skin and you've got to have great thick hair and you've got to you know have eyelashes like this and and this is how small your waistline should be and this is how big your boobs should be or your butt or whatever it is and mm-hmm. we all compare ourselves to the impossible. What's hilarious um, that, though, is that, it constantly changes the style too. That's why I would yes. be like, don't, don't, don't worry about it. Big butts weren't in style a long time ago. And now they are everything that, about you is going to come back in style at some point. Like if you have yeah, bushy and, eyebrows, great, embrace it. Good thing you didn't fuck them off in the nineties or whatever. What I found is that, you know, the older I get, the more confident I've become. Mm-hmm. And with that confidence comes a certain amount of sex, uh, sexiness. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, confidence is really hot. If you are, regardless of how you look, where you are in your journey towards health or weight goals or whatever, um, if you are confident about yourself, you're confident about your body, confident about what you bring to the table, then that is a very attractive quality. And I, I, I learned that pretty young, you know, just that it's not about how I look. The best things that I have ever done, the stories that I you know, am known for aren't, aren't the ones that I look the best in or are the prettiest or best lighting or, oh, my makeup looks great in that. The, the stories that I'm the most proud of are the stories where I have made a difference in people's mm-hmm. lives. Um, you know, there is getting back to you had just asked me what's the most important story I've done or my, my favorite interview. I did a story called Justice for Juliet. And it was actually several stories over a couple of years where a little girl in Nebraska was killed in the middle of the night. Um, and there were three suspects and all those sus the mom, the boyfriend and the boyfriend's friend, all of those suspects were allowed to leave. The local police bungled this, this investigation. And years later, this little girl's aunt contacted me on Facebook. Can you help me find justice for wow. my niece 
you know, these people were allowed to get away with murder and somebody killed her. So my unit and I tracked down all three of those people on camera. The mom rolled over on the ex-boyfriend. Um, they had a grand jury hearing. Uh, they uh, Originally, law enforcement said they couldn't find any of them. We found all three of them in different states within two weeks. Wow. Uh, we exposed them to a national audience. And Dustin Chauncey was later arrested. And he is now serving 80 years to life in prison for killing uh, Juliet Gertz. And had it not been for that aunt contacting me and that aunt's relentless, Monica Hall is her name, her, her relentless uh, pursuit of justice on behalf of her niece, um, she wouldn't, you know, sh she wouldn't have found justice. So that guy is in prison today, help, in part, I think, because of our story. And so that's the power of journalism. Wow. That's the power of having a platform. And so that's the thing I'm, I'm the most proud of. And it's not about, hey, I looked great in that story. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it, it's about I made a difference in that story. Mm -hmm. And so the older I get, now I'm 56, and I, I think I look good for my age, but I'm never going to look like the 20-year-old model I once was. You know, I got cellulite now. My ass will never look like that. But that's okay, because yeah. I have an enormous amount of confidence and knowledge and experience that I think makes me sexier now at 56 than I was at 26. I love that. I, I think that's just so important for my listeners to hear. Like, it, it just doesn't matter that much. Like, definitely take care of yourself. Do what makes you feel good. Work out, you know, eat healthy, all of that. But like, if you looked fat in a photo, if you now have cellulite on your stomach, which is a new thing for me that's been lovely to discover, like, <laughs> who cares? Like, it doesn't matter that much. Like, it just, you know, what's more important is what you did for Juliet. Like, that's that's a really beautiful story. That's really cool that you're able to, I mean, you've probably helped millions of people when I think about it because of uh, all the viewers you guys get, like it, you know, not to get caught in a Kenneth Copeland scam, not to, or a mold, scam, like, you know, he, here's some info you need to know to protect yourself. And I just think that's really, you're doing really incredible work. And I, I agree with you that I think that it's going to only get more incredible. I think that this is like, you've found like a very specific niche that you're unbelievable at. And I think that you can expand this into so much. You should have your own. Thank show. you. You should well, have your own or your own. I would love that. Based. Yeah. 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 You know, I'm working towards that right now. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited about what the future holds. I'm excited about my book. I think that's going to help people too. And especially women. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, the women, the book is written for women, um, even though right. it's kind of set in a, a sports environment at first. Mm -hmm. um, it's just about the lessons I've learned and how I transitioned to doing what I do now. But um, yeah, I think, you know, all of us need to, to constantly be looking forward and not back, um, not comparing ourselves to others, comparing ourselves to ourselves from yesterday and being a better person today than we were yesterday. And that's the best kind of competition you can have. I love that. I think we'll end on that. Thank you so, so much for doing this. I, I'm very, very impressed by you. And I am excited for my listeners to learn more about you and what you're doing. Thanks, Rachel. I appreciate it. And please, everybody follow me on social media because I talk, you know, I'm very interactive. So if you follow me, I'd love to follow you back. And I, well, I respond so your handle? to people. So um, at the number four, Lisa Guerrero, G-U-E-R-R-E-R-O, four Lisa Guerrero everywhere. Amazing. I'll, I'll post that in the show notes. So thank you so, so much. This will come out tomorrow. So yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you.